You control the guy or the woman who runs the run, run brings out the carts on, 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 on a forklift. It's time for the Buff Show. One hundred year. Look, here's the lives. It's just. It's. A, I mean, you think about it. And no idea what you said, Joe, but we understand the Buff Show. Deeply held by uh, by President. Stop moving that that that, that, that uh, you know. Call? That's a teleprompter, Joe. We'll take it from here. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. And here's your host, Matt Buff. Welcome to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us on this awesome Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. Go to Liam Fitzpatrick's where it's Taco Thursday. Get tacos for a good price on Thursday. I am Matt Buff, your host in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio. Great to have you. Check us out, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Ansa Orlando, full and extended interviews on Roku TV, on the Patriot Podcast Network, and on our Rumble channel. Check out thebuffshow.com for show information and past interviews. We have a new article coming out now from David Pollock, not just politics on The Buff Show. David, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be here. I haven't seen you in a long time. It's great to have you. Yeah, right. It's like we never see each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. Time to go behind the enemy lines with David Pollock. This new article you yeah. spent about, well, you really dove into this one, Pollock. 20 hours yeah. of research, just a, an incredible <laughs> amount of uh, fortitude to finish this darn thing. So congratulations on a great article. Well, thanks. It's not so much 20 hours of research versus the 20 hours of writing and then looking back and then writing again. And, you know, it's a process. But when uh, you're dealing with something as complicated as the abortion issue and with so many different angles being taken right now, I wanted to um, take the time necessary to kind of dive into each of the each of the directions that this could possibly go in and kind of have a, a nice broad discussion about a lot of the different things. I mean, this could be five different articles, but maybe it will be. But it, it, I tried to put together something that um, can kind of give you a lot of things to think about in a very short read. No, very good. I love it. Yeah. And um, liberals are up to their dirty tricks again. Do you know it's illegal yeah. to try to influence a judge? It's illegal yeah. to stand out in front of their house and try to influence them. You know, I was insurrection. Yeah, I was looking at that today. There is it's in the, it's in the United States Code that says you cannot uh, picket or protest or otherwise demonstrate, and that's not the law specifically, but in order to, in, in the effort to intimidate a judge. And as I mentioned in the article, um, Supreme Court justices, they're not political, they're not politicians, they're not elected. They're appointed by presidents and they serve a lifetime term. Their job and their oath requires them to not consider public opinion or the person or be influenced by anything other than the Constitution and their own research. So protesting private homes of United States Supreme Court justices serves no purpose but to intimidate them because they can't change their mind because you have a, a drum and a picket sign. They, that's, that wouldn't be uh, serving justice in the court. So the fact that the president of the United States and his press secretary, outgoing and incoming, um, think it's just fine that they're peacefully protesting at the private homes of public servants um, that can't do anything in response to the protest just shows you how desperate um, these people really are for a lot of different things. And, and that's the thing. It's not just abortion. Yes, abortion is the age-old Democrat argument. You know, I used to always say, 
um, about a few years ago when everything was just crisis, I was like, man, I kind of missed the days when we just argued about abortion and guns because it seems like at least we knew what the positions were. Um, but even though they're reinserting the abortion argument into this election year, I really don't think it has everything to actually anything to do with abortion. Because if you look what they're doing in these most liberal states and even what they tried to do in the Senate yesterday, they're trying to make abortion accessible up until birth. This was never envisioned in Roe v. Wade, and this hasn't even been the mainstream position of Democrats. So what is the purpose of expanding abortion to levels that are unheard of in, in, in civilized countries? And it really is just another way for Democrats and the radical liberals that have sought control over the party to divide the country on issues that they know we can never come together in. And so if you take the polar opposites of abortion, you know, oh, abort a five-year-old. That's a Democrat position in a few months, I'm sure. And then you take, of course, what the the expected opposite position of a very conservative person might be, and that's no abortions, no contraception. And if you keep pushing the issue one direction, the people on the other side of the argument are going to push the issue in the other direction. And then rather than come together and figure out a way we can make abortion work for everybody, especially the unborn, it's just going to draw us to the corner of our rings. And all we're going to do is get in the middle and fight. And that has always been the intent of the left over the last few years. It has never been, hey, let's come up with a compromise, regardless of what Joe Biden said, flanked by fences and National Guard on Inauguration Day. It's always been what issues can we use to divide people? Race, gender, a sexual orientation, whatever, sports. Let's do whatever we can do to keep people at each other's throats. Because if they start getting along, well, that's a real problem for the people who are trying to insert a socialist economy. And, and, and we can't allow that to happen. So um, I'm glad to see that Joe Manchin is on our side. It's about time we, uh, we saw a, a John McCain on the left. So it, it's about time we got the thumbs up. Uh, but it, this really is just abortion isn't the end all and be all of where this division goes. This will come and go. There'll be another summer of rage. They'll destroy communities. They'll destroy properties. And that's the theme, really, of the article. And the reason why it's called Behind Enemy Lines is because the left is out of control and they'll do whatever they can do to maintain power and pass their agenda. And the people who really suffer are the mothers waiting for baby formula or the people struggling to fill up a gas tank or the unborn sitting in a womb, hoping that they're not allowed to be aborted as they're on their way out. These are the people who suffer with the left's destructive uh, political agenda. And you know, November is the most important election in our lifetimes because we gotta put these people, these radical leftists out of office and teach them that this isn't the way we're gonna allow people to govern the country. Yeah, it's just unreal when you talk about Schumer's bill. I mean, that thing yeah. was chock full of just radical leftist garbage. Yeah. Abortion up until birth and everything. <clears throat> this was a plan. We broke the news last week on the show that this leak came out of Sonia Sotomayor's office and uh, tried to run up the base because they got nothing else to run on. I mean, for crying out loud, inflation Right. The worst of all time. You mentioned the baby formula. Unbelievable. When my kids were babies, baby formula was very expensive. I can't imagine now that they're going on eBay and things like that for over $120. It's yeah. unreal. And yet everything has to be 
we got to kill the babies and protect the illegals. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's just division. And you're know, going back to the baby formula thing. I mean, we're not even talking about this in the news. I mean, yeah, you're starting to hear about it now as it's starting to get to a level of, of, of real crisis. But I mean, we fed our babies formula too when they were little and you have to get your specific formula. You have to get a ton of it and you can't start changing formulas. Babies get sick. And now you have parents out there who literally can't feed their babies. And that's just one thing. We can think back to election day. How many things have just gone wrong under this president between gasoline, there's a war in Europe, inflation, but those are just some of them. Let's not forget the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. Let's not forget, you know, all of the things that have been gone. COVID is still at the numbers it was last year. Yes, the deaths are down, but it's not like he's actually done anything. And all he does is make things worse. And I can't figure out if it's intentional or just buffoonery. I can't figure out if this is always the intent. And, you know, I've written about and we've discussed, maybe this is the plan. If you destroy the economy, if you starve babies, if you divide people and everybody's out their throats, well, now you have an opportunity to say the government can fix it. And we've talked about this before. Come back to the government. You can't get your baby formula from Abbott. You have to come to the government to get it. We can provide it for you. Oh, you can't get gasoline for your car because these evil oil companies are charging you too much money. Let the government take over the oil and gas industry and let us give it to you. I promise you before November, they will be suggesting such things because that's the idea. They're trying to collapse the private sector and provide a government alternative that's going to not be as good as the private alternative, but they're making the private alternatives so unaffordable that maybe it will be by that time. And that's the thing. They're, I think the long-term play, I really do think this has to be intentional because there's no way you can be this incompetent and even Democrats go along with it unless that's part of the plan. It might be part of the plan. I don't know if it's incompetence and just like your article states, I don't think uh, Democrats, I mean, they're, they build their campaign on a thing of lies right. and it, the whole thing is just based They're They're always just playing with fire with this stuff because yeah. it affects right. real Americans. Like you talked about the George Floyd riot in 2020, how, how right. that really got out of hand. And in the courtroom, there was nothing about race. That was nothing about race. But they made it about race. And they wreak havoc across the country. They're trying to destroy pro-life centers now. They've already firebombed one of them. And now they're trying to do things to the justice's house. If, they, if the police presence wasn't there, they would have been inside the justice's house. You know that's for a fact. Yeah, well, and absolutely. For, and now the gas is at all-time highs, and they have to find these distractions. So it is playing with fire, like you said. Well, it is, and that's the thing. I mean, you look at the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, too. I mean, they make everything about race. They divide people. But like I mentioned in the article, you have mili radical militant uh, groups like Antifa infiltrating, even if it is a peaceful protest, even if people don't have the time to actually research what the, the leaked Supreme Court document says, which, by the way, doesn't say abortion will be illegal or banned. It just says the states can decide. So if you happen to live in a state that doesn't want to let you abort a, a newborn baby, well, then go to a state that does. You still have that right. So the idea here that people are getting all upset thinking they can't have an abortion, that's not what the leaked decision even shows. And the decision is even final. But that being said, the people who are out there, even the ones peacefully protesting, because they believe that to be true, the radical militants are going to infiltrate them. There will be pallets of bricks 
placed out front of Supreme Court justices' homes or God knows where, and they will continue to destroy the country. These are the same people that protest G7 in Europe and burn police cars. This has nothing to do with abortion or anything American. This has to do with there's radical people who hate all Western democracies and anything capitalist, and they'll use any opportunity to attack. And that's the fire that the Democrats are playing with. Sure, it helps them get enthusiasm for the November election that nobody's excited about in their party, but it also has the potential to put real Americans at risk as their cities burn, as vulnerable Supreme Court justices who live in communities just like ours, when you have radicals right outside of their homes, it just takes one really unfortunate circumstance to really make put this country in, in a place where we don't want to be. And the opposite is true too. While the left plays with fire and enrages leftists, there are far right extremists too who are going to want to counter the far left extremism. And that is going to cause conflict that nobody can control. But this is what the left wants because their policies stink, nobody likes it, and they can't handle losing. So they'd rather punish the country, burn the damn thing down, then freely just give away the power that they so desperately desire. Well, that's what the leftists get, though. If they want to go out and cause destruction, yeah. there are people that are going to stand up against that, for sure. Yeah. And we saw a Trump supporter get shot and killed in Seattle yep. out there trying to stop the burning. But that didn't get much coverage because he was a white guy and the perpetrator yeah. was a black guy. That's not going yeah. to get much cover, but that is where the death and destruction comes into the, the article is great. Everybody needs to check it out on thebuffshow.com. Click on news or the David Pollock link right there. It's going to be right there for you. What other, what final takeaway do you want to have from this article? You know, the, the final takeaway is simple is it, it, Americans have, all Americans, Democrats, Republicans, if there are moderate Democrats out there, if you still exist, you have to boot these people out of office that are destroying the country. If you keep electing these types of people, they're going to be emboldened to keeping the same things. If you don't want to see the country destroyed, elect better Democrats. And that's for the Democrats. Republicans, we're electing the right people. And we just need to make sure we put real conservatives in office. Well, you'll be with us in CPAC. And that's a yep. good start because people are having primaries all over the country right now. MAGA candidates are looking good, which means just real conservative candidates, not rhinos. And by that time, by the time that CPAC in Dallas rolls around, David Pollack, it's going to yep. be two months before the general. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> it's it's going to be exciting. And, you know, and this is the theme this year. It's rhino hunting. And, uh, you know, but everybody's a rhino. And this is an article I'm actually working on right now. So sneak peek. Um, everybody says they're America first. Everybody's a rhino. If you go to some of these Republican meetings or anything, everybody's pointing fingers. Everybody's this. Everybody. There's a real sort of power struggle in the Republican Party right now of people trying to define what their brand of conservatism is in the wake of Trump. And uh, so it's very interesting to see who the real conservatives, the real American first candidates are, not just the people who say America first, but who's actually doing America first. And so that's going to be the exciting thing to see come November. Yeah, let's take a peek at their record, just a peek at their record for right. a change. And see, just like in Pennsylvania, the guy who <laughs> was doing a debate, and he voted to impeach Donald Trump. There's no argument there. That guy's a right. No. <laughs> yeah, you're out. <laughs> if you're you want to support, yeah, you're out. If you support um, the Affordable Care Act in any way, um, you're out. If you voted for impeachment, you're out. If you're like Mitt Romney, you're out. And, you know, that's uh, Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney. That's what a rhino looks like. The rest of us, we go. can disagree. We can disagree on, on other issues, but if if you can't actually be a Republican, if you are in favor of masks or forced vaccines, you're not a Republican. 
you're out. You're so. out. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, David. Well, it's always great to have you on. We're going to share that article. Everybody check it out on thebuffshow.com and hit the news button. David, thank you so much for the great take. Awesome article. We're going to get it out there everywhere. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always my pleasure. Always fun. You stay with us. There's a lot more to go on The Buff Show. Hey, you may have heard radio show hosts talking trash on solar. Yes, even conservative talk show hosts. There was a silly comparison to trucks running 10,000 miles, carbon emissions, and panel production. It came off as like a liberal argument against a liberal problem. Shallow knowledge as opposed to experts in the field. Politics, global warming, and other environmental concerns aside, the number one reason to buy solar is simple math. Have you looked at your power bill? It has risen in the last five years. How much more will it go up in the next five years? It's a rigged game, and all solar energy empowers you to stop playing a rigged game. A solar electric system freezes your costs and shields you from upcoming rate increases. If you choose to finance a solar electric system, the payment on a system that zeroes out your bill is typically less than your current power bill. This is simple math. Call All Solar Energy in Longwood tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or online at www.allsolarenergy.com. More information on this later in the show. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hour drafts every day of the week and all day Sunday. Dollar off drafts and house wines, $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events tonight. It's Taco Tuesday on Thursdays. Live music and specials all night on tacos, tequila, and margaritas. Friday's live music and happy hour, then brunch with $10 champagne over the weekend. Mention the Buff Show, get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. LiamFitzpatrick's.com. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us here. Let's go over to the Heritage Foundation. We're going to be talking to Laura Rice. Laura is Director of Border Security and Immigration Center and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security. So, Laura, great to have you on the Buff Show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I was wanting to talk to you about this disinformation governance term uh, to track election misinformation and everything else, basically to shut up conservatives, right? That's basically what they want to do, Laura. It absolutely seems that way. Uh, This is uh, unconstitutional. The federal government is not supposed to be abridging free speech. It says it in the Constitution. And that doesn't just mean Congress shall make no law. It also means the executive branch shouldn't be setting up DGBs, uh, disinformation governance boards, to determine what is truth or not. Uh, nor does it mean that the uh, administrative state should be in bed with big tech to censor our free speech either at the behest of the government. The government uh, is really out of control right now. We could, I could spend four hours with you talking about everything they're messing up. But this particular topic right here is just unbelievable. When you talk about the uh, Nina Jankowitz is her name. Um, basically, who do I have to blank to be rich and famous? Big, long song she put out there. She's just a disgusting, vile human being. But they're talking about how she's all these, all these qualifications. 
But she goes, Hunter, you know, there's nothing there with Hunter. There's nothing there. If you want to look at the election, there's nothing there anywhere. So it sounds like just another program to blast liberal policies and really put lock people up basically on social media. <laughs> yeah, her, her singing narcissism aside, her record on the substance is terrible. Uh, she said that the a Russian dossier about Donald Trump was true. She said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Uh, for the COVID lock uh, response, she said, yes, please lock us down. Um, she has been, she has a video where she says Republicans and other disinformers engaged in disinformation for profit when it came to critical race theory and, and uh, parents complaining about what was being taught in schools. And most recently, she has said that because she has a blue verified checkmark in Twitter, that she should be able to um, censor and label other people's tweets and content. And I think that's where she gives away the game. That's what she is on about in this new role. It is uh, content censorship. And I think the timing of all of this is because the left has been so worried about Elon Musk opening up Twitter and the left using that very um, large avenue for censorship. This was not the intent of the Department of Homeland Security. But once again, just like the Department of Education, anytime the government sets up a department of something, it gets out of control. And we're seeing here with Homeland Security, that was just built to uh, fight against uh, foreign and domestic uh, foreign terrorism. That was it. Right. It was stood up after 9-11 to deal with foreign terrorist attacks, uh, also to uh, deal with, respond to other disasters like FEMA is there, so for natural disasters um, and, and transportation security, secret service, uh, that sort of thing. Those are the missions. Uh, deciding what is or is not misinformation is absolutely not the mission, but it is the MO of this administration. They have their eye completely off the ball when it comes to securing the homeland. Um, Secretary Mayorkas names uh, misinformation as the number one security threat for the homeland, um, and he lists foreign terrorists as the third concern. He has opened up the, our southern border completely, and foreign nationals are crossing that border from over 157 countries. They admit to 42 known and suspected terrorists who have crossed the border and been encountered. But we have hundreds of thousands of gotaways who've crossed that border. We have to assume there are many more foreign terrorists in that bunch. And so, um, yes, the eye, their eye is completely off the ball. And America is very unsafe right now because of it. Now, you twice worked at the Department of Homeland Security on management and immigration policy and operations issues, and most recently acting deputy chief of staff. And then you worked on immigration as claims, too, on a judiciary subcommittee. So you've seen, and you, when you say 157 countries where these people are coming from, you're, you would know more than anybody. When you were there... And you had a handle on this. Have you seen anything get this far out of control when it comes to the invasion at the southern border? No, we had that border quite secure uh, because President Trump was creative in the programs that he implemented and they worked. Uh, the Remain in Mexico program is the prime example. Also, using America's significant leverage when it came to Central American countries and getting cooperation out of them uh, to control their borders to build up their asylum systems and to take back foreigners who traverse their countries 
didn't ask for asylum there, but then suddenly get to the U.S. and ask for it here. Clearly, they are economic migrants and they're company, uh, country shopping. Um, so the tools that the uh, Trump administration put into place worked. The caravans that we saw of illegal aliens coming to the border stopped. And the moment uh, Joe Biden got into the White House, he rolled all of that back. And not surprisingly, we are seeing historic numbers month after month after month of illegal aliens uh, crossing the border. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And when they talk about asylum, isn't asylum meaning you have to find the nearest country if you're really facing war persecution? You don't travel through four different countries to find asylum. Is that correct? That, that's right. Um, and it states in the law that if another country uh, offers you safe resettlement, then uh, you can't go on to then a third country to get asylum there. Um, so if someone is asylum is about saving lives. And if someone is truly fleeing for their life, then they would ask for protection in the first safe country that they arrived. Um, but that's not happening in this case. These migrants have been traveling through Central America, through Mexico, only to apply for it here. They are coached to do so. It is asylum fraud. Uh, and this administration encourages more of it. Uh, they just um, implemented or, or uh, passed a, a final rule that is completely turning the asylum process upside down, basically to get to yes faster, which also is going to encourage more asylum fraud. And people need to understand the backlogs of cases um, that both DHS and DOJ are dealing with. Just in the immigration court system, the backlog is about 1.7 million cases. On the DHS side, uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services has over 400,000 asylum cases and over 8 million uh, cases of all types. Migrants know this. They come here, they apply for asylum because they know it will take years to ever have their case heard. Meanwhile, they get a work uh, permit card. They can work for years. They can send money home. They can bring family here and have all sorts of ties to the U.S. So if they are ever told uh, you have to leave, they'll, they'll say, you can't deport me. I have too many ties here in the U.S. That's the game. Did you work with Mark Esper at all? No, I did not. He wrote this crazy book. I don't know if you've seen any of this stuff, but he basically said that the DHS should bomb the cartel. Did you get any directives down there when you were working there? Did you get any directives at all to do something outside of the law of the United States? No, I was never um, part of any discussion about uh, bombing cartels. Um, but I got to tell you, right now, in addition to historic border crossings by illegal aliens, we now have a second year in a row of historic uh, American deaths due to overdose, mostly from fentanyl crossing that border. Uh, they just announced 107,000 Americans died, and last year it was 100,000 uh, American lives died. Um, and so these, these cartels are making unseen amounts of money, both smuggling humans and smuggling drugs. Um, so the Biden administration is paying no attention to it. How many Americans have to die before they will lift a finger and bring a stop to this? And so I think America, a lot of Americans hearing this out of Esper are asking themselves, why not go after the cartels and, and the drug manufacturing? Um, but you know, at, at every choice, this administration chooses poorly and puts Americans last.
They do. Everyone in this country, it seems like, that I talk to has been affected by the drugs coming across the southern border. Um, the fentanyl, when they think they're taking something else, it's laced with fentanyl. A friend of mine is going through that right now. They're actually, the, the drug dealer is on trial because of the laced fentanyl. This problem has affected us all, Laura, and I'm so glad you brought it up because while they're focusing on fake stories and trying to put labels of disinformation on people, they're ignoring the real problem that's affecting us all. It really, truly is. Yeah, these these drugs are coming to every state, every town. And that's why we say every town is a border town. It's not just you know, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. And there are a lot of young people. Uh, fentanyl deaths were the number one cause of death of, of ages 18 to 35. And so we have young people ordering what they think is something else online, whether it's Percocet or something else or antidepressant and um, laced with fentanyl. It takes, if you think of salt, it takes about three grains of salt, the equivalent in fentanyl to kill somebody. And so too many parents are losing their young sons and daughters to this. Um, and, and I got to tell you, this, this administration is angering parents in so many different ways, whether it's the schools or fentanyl, uh, just today, uh, you know, in dealing with this baby formula shortage, uh, Representative Kat Kimmick from Florida just posted a video where CBP is seeing pallets of baby formula given to the illegal aliens who are crossing the border, but American parents can't find it on our store shelves. I mean, if, if you thought moms were angry about schools and, and critical race theory, they've seen nothing yet. I can't. Thanks for the breaking news. But once again, I just never get surprised anymore. I just still get shocked. Pallets a baby formula for the illegals coming in, but the Americans have to suffer on the store shelves. We have to reiterate that point because this is just another example of how American lives don't seem to matter as much as people crossing illegally. And that's why the Hispanic vote is changing so much, Laura. People that came here legally, people that follow the rules and went through the system, they hate what's going on. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, it doesn't matter where you came from or what you look like. Um, you know, Americans are humans. Migrants are humans and humans want the best for themselves and for their families. And so, uh, you know, what team is Joe Biden and this administration playing for? Because it, it certainly doesn't seem to be the American team. No, not at all. Laura Reyes, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Border Security and Immigration Center and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. Boom, all without messing it up. Thank you, Laura, for joining us on the show. Thanks, Matt, for having me on. Okay. We'll be back on The Buff Show. More to come. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning is the official pressure washing company of The Buff Show. While Matt's doing the dirty work on the show, Action Plus Pressure Washing has been doing the dirty work for the last 15 years in Central Florida. They use a soft wash system to clean pool enclosures, driveways, pool decks, houses, and commercial property. They even clean large and small parking lots and buildings. Wow! Action Plus offers other services such as lawn maintenance, one-time service to weekly service, mowing, weeding, edging, and trimming, and hauling away debris. You can get more than one service, and they offer bundle pricing. Check out their weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly services for lawn maintenance and ask about their free standard two-driveway with house wash services. Family-owned and operated, get your free estimate at actionpluspressurecleaning.com or call 386-506-1048. That's 386-506-1048. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning. They aim to please.
since 2012. Cellulartronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair, electronics repair, and computer repair. They fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. They also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up back covers are only $120. With one super convenient location, 31 South Charles Richard Beale Boulevard in DeBerry. Or call them at 386-516-6185. Visit Cellulartronics.com. Cellulartronics. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you rolling along with us. This is Freedom Foundation Thursday. The Freedom Foundation is not your average think tank. The Freedom Foundation is a battle tank. Our job is to defend the rights of public employees against the nation's biggest bullies, government unions. Government unions are the single largest funder of the radical left in America. They take money directly out of the pockets of hardworking teachers and other public employees to impose their extremist agenda, which now includes closing our schools, defunding the police, and promoting racism through the teaching of critical race theory. The Freedom Foundation is here to stop all that by helping tens of thousands of public employees leave their unions in Oregon and throughout the country. We're liberating people to put their money back in their pockets and out of the union's radical political agenda. Thank you for standing with us in the biggest battle that we face as freedom fighters. Welcome, Ashley Varner from the Freedom Foundation. Great to have you back. Good to be back, Matt. I do love that bumper music you chose for us. Yeah, born free, right? Uh, We have a constitution that allows us to be free and have freedom of speech, but the left absolutely hates it. And there's union workers out there that are paying dues, and that money is going to fund the likes of Kamala Harris. Do you like that? Great. Well, if you don't, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you don't, call Ashley and everybody at Freedom Foundation, freedomfoundation.com. That's right. But I, I don't know why you mentioned Kamala Harris. It's the Biden administration. Is it the Harris administration? Did I miss a did I miss a memo, Matt? I'm not sure who's in charge of this regime. Um, they're fighting with each other right now. Like uh, they're not letting Kamala talk about abortion. They're sending out Elizabeth Warren. That's a pleasant voice, but it kind of, I think I kind of they're kind of mad at each other. Do you, do you get the feeling like I do, Matt, that maybe it's like the parents are staying together for the good of the kids. They just don't want to tell the kids it's over yet. One of your favorite things to say is we don't like it when mommy and daddy fuss. I think it's fascinating. I mean, they're both crazy, right? Well, they're, it's not they're like both the relationship in- started off well when Kamala Harris called now President Biden, basically a racist during the debate. So, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't basically. She did. She called him a racist (laughs) because of the busing issue. Yes. And he's like, I'm very good friends with segregationists. Uh, That's not something to be proud of there, Joe. (laughs) Wasn't it just this week? He said that he wished he could go back to the good old days when you could fight with segregationists during the day and then go have lunch with them or go have dinner with them. It's like, are you sure you know what you're saying here? Yeah. I think he misses Jim Crow era. I think he misses that stuff. It I'm was kind of strange. Say that, not me. 
Well, he said, I wish I could go back to the good old days of that. I mean, Joe Biden, ever, he is, he has a lot of racist comments on the record, actually, on the record. Says a lot of stuff. He uses the N word four times in one sentence. I could play that for you if you'd like. Oh, goodness, that hurts my ears to think about. Yeah, well, we won't play that. <laughs> Good, you didn't call my bluff because I don't have it. No, no. <laughs> he did refer but you know who to else? Uh, former President Trump as the MAGA king. What was it yesterday? Just there's a lot. Of- a lot of great MAGA stuff coming out. We got Ultra MAGA. We got MAGA King. That's Thank you for all these wonderful things that we can put on T-shirts and stuff now. I know. It's really cool. More bumper stickers coming out with this stuff. So More and more. Why don't you tell us, because right now inflation's ridiculously high. We talk about all this stuff, and you guys are fighting the good fight to put more money in the pockets of people, which they really need it more than ever now. Tell us some updates on some of your cases and what's going on with the Freedom Foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Just this week, Matt, we actually uh, we broke another milestone, and that is that we have helped people keep more and more of their own money. And, and that means over $200 million now that is not going into the union coffers. Uh, that is huge, especially with the Biden inflation that people are experiencing now. I was on the phone with a woman from California this morning and uh, I asked her, you know, I, I hate to even know, what, what are you paying in gas? And she said, it's about six seventy nine dollars per <laughs> gallon where she is. Uh, and, and she's one of our clients. We're getting ready to uh, file. Uh, can't give you too many details on the case because we haven't filed it yet. That's coming next week. But you know, she lives in LA County and uh, she was talking about how she got one of our Freedom Foundation flyers in the mail and she had been doing the math because her, her husband was laid off during COVID in 2020. And then, um, you know, she had some supplemental income that, that was lost because of things shutting down. And she said she started looking at these union dues and what she pays every month. And, and when she heard from us about how she could get out of the union and stop paying dues, she thought, you know, I really, really need that money. We, we are down to less than half of what our, our, our household salary was. So we're really trying to get the, the word out to public employees all across the country with the inflation, with, with gas prices, um, you know, groceries, grocery bills are through the roof. And so we want to help you keep more of your money in your pocket not only do you stop funding an agenda that you might not agree with, but you need that money to put gas in your car. You need that money to put food on the table to buy your medicine. And that's what we're here to do every single day. And we hear from more and more people all the time. Please help me. I'm tired of this. Uh, and so it's just it feels so good, Matt, to know that we are helping everyday Americans all across the country. It is so great. What was that number you gave again, that milestone you guys hit? 200 million. We have now helped more people keep in their pockets and not go into the union's coffers. 200 million. That's this week. Wait, the crowd loves it. That's great. Yes. We're very excited. Okay. Good job, guys. See, that's very big news. And we're very happy to hear that because you guys are doing phenomenal work all over the country. And once again, freedomfoundation.com, a heck of a partnership with the Buff Show, Ashley. And we- We're so Central happy Florida. to work with you, Matt. Everybody loves you. They they get excited to come on and talk with you and 
You're just a fun interviewer. Uh, you're a great supporter of ours. We want to be a great supporter of yours too. So it's we we well, love coming on the show. We love the partnership. Oh, and well, thank you. We're talking about CPAC now. CPAC in Dallas. We're starting to have that conversation. We broke that news last week with Matt Schlapp on the Buff Show that we will be in Dallas. We will be there with our own Buff Show booth. It's going to be awesome. We have some bigger breaking news coming about that, too. But it sounds like maybe Freedom Foundation might be joining us down there. We're talking about it very seriously. How many people can we get down there? Yep. Yep. So we hope to see you very soon. We did not have any fun together at CPAC Orlando. It was such a chore to hang out with you, Matt. It really was. It was so troubling. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are so much fun. We loved it. So we hope to do it again here in August. Although August in Dallas is not, well, August in Dallas. (laughs) But it'll be nice to be inside the hotel with you. Inside. Yes. Stay inside. Um, Requests are Hunter. Lauren, um, I'll put in my request officially, and I don't know if that'll have any sway with who gets picked, but I'll put in a request. (laughs) I'll make sure they know, and and I'll make sure they know that you said their names today, so. (laughs) That's awesome. You know who is not invited is Randy Weingarten, right? She has been a disaster and not a help, and she, I don't like her so much because she is trying to hurt my kids. I have kids in school and she went on and on for what, two years that school closures are good. Double masking is good. Masks on kids for eight hours a day. That is good. She acted like COVID was the bad guy in Rocky four that he was coming to beat up all the kids, but it doesn't, it wasn't the case, but she was always, always promoting that stuff. Well, she was doing the bidding of her uh, union because they were politicizing the pandemic and the school closures in order to basically go on a strike that they didn't have to call by staying out of the classroom. And then they used that opportunity to uh, negotiate for bargaining chips they couldn't have won at a typical bargaining table. So they really manipulated this COVID situation uh, for the union's gains, not for the children's gains. And now we do have proof Uh, A Harvard study came out just last week. Um, It was overshadowed by some news last week, but it's starting to get some play this week. Uh, Finding what we already knew, Matt, we've been talking about how the school closures are hurting kids' educational opportunities, their academic growth and learning, their social learning, um, their mental health. And now we do have a study from Harvard that that shows that the, the learning gap in schools that stayed out of in-person instruction for longer than 16 weeks, which is like four months. Um, The learning gap between the high poverty schools and the higher income schools was was vast. It was stark, Uh, something like almost 47% or something like that. Um, But that's because what we knew was if you have a higher income, you can probably afford some tutoring or you have some other opportunities for education, educational supplements, you know, that the kids in these high poverty schools did not have the same access to. And so what we're seeing is the schools that stayed out of in-person education for only four weeks or less, the discrepancy between high poverty and high income schools was was almost nil. Uh, they had about 15% learning loss, both high poverty and high income. So 
the the real damage that we are seeing in the high poverty schools that were kept out of in-person instruction, we don't even know. The Harvard study could not conclude that the amount of money that the federal government has given to these schools to try to catch up, if it's even enough. And, and that's $190 billion, I believe. I mean, we're, we're going to be paying for this in more ways than one, not just our taxpayer dollars. We're going to be paying for this and the damage we've done to these kids in their future earning potential. You know, we're talking about the next generation of leaders that, you know, have fallen behind. This is going to hurt us for generations. It certainly is. And nobody's being held accountable for this. Fauci thinks he can ride off into the sunset. It's unreal. But now Randy Weingarten seems to be changing her tune a little bit. And she's not forgiven either because she was one of the main components of the problems with our kids. But you sent over this clip and I want to play it for everyone. Kids are in crisis. And we had a mental health crisis before COVID, but with, and, and Dr. Eng will talk about this far better than I do, but within, but, but for two years of disruption, two years of looking at the screens, two years of not having a normal kind of routine and rhythm. Recovery is really tough. <laughs> That's an understatement. Recovery is really tough. She talks like we did, Ashley, but it, we were it, doing it that over a year me. and a half ago. Like, dude, this is bad stuff. Yes. I cannot tell you how angry this clip makes me, Matt, because she's talking like she had nothing to do with it. When in fact, Randy Weingarten is one of the single most responsible people for our schools being closed for as long as they were. Her uh, teachers union, AFT, was responsible for writing the CDC guidelines for reopening the schools. They were given the full draft before it was made public, and they got to make paragraphs worth of, of edits to rewrite the schooling guidelines. I'm just... I want every parent to see this. We're already seeing school boards across the country being overturned. Parents are angry and they're trying to vote out everyone who was responsible for this. Now, the parents can't vote for Randy Weingarten, but uh, her American Federation of Teachers Union has lost 2% of their membership just between uh, 2020 and 2021. We don't know what the numbers are going to be for 2022 yet, but 2% of her membership of teachers who were saying, I have had it with this. I do not want to be a part of this. And the Freedom Foundation has helped thousands of those teachers leave. Uh, but losing her, her membership numbers the way that she is, is going to continue if she doesn't get off this path. But at least that means uh, 2% fewer members paying dues that is going to support her exorbitant salary and her leftist politics. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing everything you can to get her out of there. But this is like an old, sad, tired out game. When you're the bad guy and then somebody comes in and like the Harvard study says, oh, no, no, this was all wrong. Then you jump on the other side and like, hey, I never supported that. You see that in movies all the time. But that's a tactic of the left. Oh, no, no, I, I wasn't a part of that. You were the architect of that. And the CDC listening to you because nothing's coming out of that office, Ashley, without Randy's signature on it. Nothing is going to CDC or the federal government without her signature on it. That's true. But the good thing is her gaslighting isn't working. Parents know why their kids were kept out of school. The teachers know that's why they're leaving in droves. Uh, you're not going to find a lot of people really buy into anything this woman is saying right now. And we're, we at the Freedom Foundation are fond of saying that she's working harder to gaslight American parents than she ever worked to get their kids back in the schools. No, not at all. 
and it, it's just horrible. But what do you expect from the woman who supported education. Hillary? She'll reset education policy to focus on creativity and critical thinking, not on more testing. And, and she'll make public universities free for working families, a stark contrast from Trump's for-profit scam. Hillary is the most qualified candidate to run for president in my lifetime. How about that? <laughs> That's a lot of jumping up and down on stage, Matt. I don't know. That was hard to watch. <laughs> Some people shouldn't be jumping around and all excited, especially if you're voting for Hillary Clinton, who got beat badly. Question for you, Matt. Do you know the name of the president of the nation's largest teachers union, the NEA? You know, this is interesting. I do not because they don't say much. I don't. They we, let Randy we, when we're reporting all the talking. Yeah, they do. We, when we're reporting on this, it's her mouth that's saying all this stuff. So we have to report it. So talk about that. Why do we not hear from them? Yeah, we have to try to remind people all the time. The American Federation of Teachers is the second largest union of teachers in the country. The National Education Association is the top dog. It's the biggest one. And Becky Pringle is the president there. Uh, but her, her name is not a, a household word. And I'm pretty sure she likes it that way because they can keep on keeping on um, and doing what they're doing and not get into the media fuss that Randy Weingarten gets herself into all the time. And it was the National Education Association, the NEA, that in 2018 published a guidebook on how to teach critical race theory. We talked to you about that over the summer last year, uh, but we found this guidebook. No one was talking about it. No one, it didn't get any press at the time, but the NEA was pushing out critical race theory guidelines for years before we ever found out about it in 2020 when the schools were shut down and Zoom school was coming into parents' uh, living rooms. And that's how we found out about critical race theory. But the truth is the NEA had been pushing this stuff for years. No, that's exactly right. And that's how we got Mom for Liberty and everybody else. And that's why people's eyes are open. Ashley Varner, everybody check out freedomfoundation.com. Ashley, thanks so much for breaking all this down today. Have a great day, Matt. We'll talk to you next week. You have yourself a great weekend, and I'll send you that list for uh, CPAC Dallas. Sounds <laughs> good. All righty. All right. Bye, Ashley. We'll be back on The Buff Show. You guys stay with us. You heard about the simple math with a solar electric system earlier in the show. Not all homes qualify. An energy evaluation by a qualified professional to get the fully informed information is always recommended. If your home qualifies, solar is always a prudent financial move. All Solar Energy in Longwood has been educating homeowners, roofing companies, property management firms, and now radio hosts about solar for 22 years. We have experts to perform no cost, no obligation energy evaluations to see if your home qualifies and explain the simple math of solar. Call All Solar Energy tomorrow at 866-412-4218 or visit the website www.allsolarenergy.com. Let them know you heard about it from me, Matt Buff, on The Buff Show. 
Veritas Tactical. Tactical. A family and law enforcement owned company where you can get custom built ARs with purpose built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Six Hour, Smith & Wesson and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your Liberty Safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force-on-force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full-time gunsmith on site, Sarah Coding Services, laser engraving, and more. Mention the Buff Show and get a $25 discount on courses. You'll find Veritas Tactical at 207 North Goldenrod Road, Suite 200 in Orlando. Contact Veritas Tactical, 407-309-3000. 407 309 3000 and at VeritasTactical.com. Veritas Tactical. Tactical. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you rolling along with us. We are going to be talking about college. Should you go? Should you not? And why shouldn't you? And why you should? I don't know. We're going to get into this with uh, Regnery authors, Dr. Michael. Uh, Rollbard and Timothy Gordon have written a book called Don't Go to College. Michael and Timothy, welcome to the Buff Show. Great to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Okay, so let's get into the book right now. It's a fantastic read. We're going to post the book on our website. So first, Michael, over to you. Um, you're, you have an MD. What have you seen in colleges that make you go, oh my goodness, I need to write a book about this? Well, I would say, I mean, a lot of this we're, we're writing from a place of, of really, really love from, you know, or, or for the university and, and the, the intellectual tradition that we're, uh, we're trying to defend. Uh, but both of us have seen throughout the arc of our, our training and then recently within the last five years, particularly, uh, a really pernicious takeover uh, of the, the, the institution of higher education. And we're trying to warn really the next generation of of students to to not fall into really what's become a, a very pernicious and um, cor- corrupt set a set of um, ideas. Tim, I look at when conservative speakers come to the colleges and all these radical protesters are out there, and people getting shut down and yelled at and screamed at just for having a different opinion. Maybe that's one major area. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that proves that the university has failed. I mean, that's the meaning of universitas, as Pope Benedict uh, remarked at his famous Regensburg address in 2006. I mean, look, if if the college system is so whack that it's essentially adult sexualized daycare and it's overpriced, which is the one thing most conservatives do know, and it doesn't impart the wisdom that it's supposed to do, and it's a breeding ground, a hotbed for radical activity and they hate the ideas of Christian Aristotelianism, which in, which constitute right a trough for the university, and they won't send anyone that comes in. And we say, proverbially speaking, of course, just burn it down, salt the earth, start over. Yeah, what's the solution there, Michael? Because my son, he's in junior college right now. Um, we have instructed him his whole life about our values, and we told him, you're about to step, step into a bastion of liberalism. But for his degree in kinesiology, he has to get that degree and get his MD and all that stuff. So what choices besides parental guidance do we have for somebody who wants to go into a specific field like that? So within the book, we do hedge a bit, right? So we do have a a 
part of one chapter where we said, look, here, here's a set of non-woke, non-neo-Marxist universities and programs and, and you know, things that are more STEM oriented. Uh, if people are going to go to college, then that might at least be a, a lane that is is not totally corrupt. But however, STEM is uh, getting more and more woke as well. You have mathematics departments saying yeah. that mathematics is downstream from uh, from race and, and colonialism. So that's not even safe. But uh, we do at least acknowledge that there are some uh, some universities, some programs that are out there that if, if, if you must go to college to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or, or some advanced engineer, okay, fine. Here, here's like a, a very, very thin sliver uh, that you can go through to not get corrupt. Uh, but mainly we're, we're challenging the, the, the narrative more broadly that, that, uh, that in order to live a flourishing life, you must go to college. I mean, you know, we, we think that that's just false. Rather, the, the argument is that people should go into the trades. They should become entrepreneurs. They should reject this narrative that your life is going to be ruined unless you get these credentialing degrees. Because what comes with the credentialing, credentialing degrees, as Tim just mentioned, is uh, a whole package of debt, a whole package of vice and bad habit, uh, stunted maturity and, and arrested development, and then a whole nest of, of, of terrible ideological ideas that you're not allowed to question. No, you're not allowed to uh, question it. And Tim will give you an F. But when you talk about the trades, they got rid of the shop classes and everything in high school even. When, when when you get rid of trades early, I mean, there's people that make good money being plumbers and welders and stuff like that. So if you get rid of the trades early, it's like all these hippies in the 60s had kids and they mm -hmm. all went and got their teaching degree and said, you know what? We just need everybody to take poet, uh, poetic uh, French poetry or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, don't, I, I would just amend what you said slightly. It's not that there are people who are plumbers or electricians who make good money. There are no people who are plumbers or electricians who don't make good money. Yeah, it? right, right. So, I mean, you're, you're marshalling evidence for our point. This is all a concerted effort, right? The, the, the university is the nerve center of the eight or nine institutions of Western culture that were commandeered by the left. The university coordinates them all as the nerve center. So they started pushing, particularly girls, as, as part of the, the feminism sex egalitarianism push but but all people everyone should be a college boy or a college girl they took away the home ec in high school for girls they took away the shop class for young boys none of us you know who are millennials or younger maybe even gen x's i don't know know how to work with our hands we're, we're saying we need to reclaim that mm. and more than anything i think the strongest argument is you know you're you, you have a son who's college age who is procreative age the best thing that a son or a daughter can do by their parents is to go out and to provide grandkids and the real problem here is the opportunity cost the opportunity cost is someone is most fertile when they're 17 18 19 as everyone on college orgiastic college campuses knows that's misspent sexual libidinal drive because what they really ought to be doing is having families when they're 18 19 20 like like paul saying to paula 50 years ago, the day school's through, I want to marry you. That's human nature. That's science. It's inarguable. That's what human beings were, were soft and hardwired to do. And college is a four or six year block that the people, the, the, the Marxists who hate the Western nuclear family and wanted to destroy it and rip it out, they put that block there 
both ideologically and logistically. It teaches you the family's bad. And then by night, after you go to your classes, you're having orgies, uh, the, the creation of the habits, which will make it impossible to go and have a normal, satisfying family life when you graduate or, or, or during college. Let's stay right there on that point there, Michael. When you talk about the sexual activity that is going on and then the sexual assault claims, which there's some that have been, a lot of them have been disproven. And so it makes, creates doubt on any maybe real one. A culture of sexual activity in these colleges has really created a bad system as well. Yeah, certainly. We, we talk about this. We, it's almost like a, it's a two, two-phased side to it or two-phased element where the first phase is a battering down of all traditional norms and mores with respect to male-female relations. And then after that's been leveled, this re-erecting of a new ad hoc uh, artificial set of norms and rules with ever-changing definitions, ever-changing language, ever-changing ever uh, descriptions uh, of what norms are, and then those are being rigorously enforced and then changing uh, again. So, I mean, Antioch College, I think, is the standard uh, of this, uh, but it's been adopted in very, very other places where it's like, uh, you know, th then you add alcohol to the entire situation as well. And people are confused as to how it is that there's this um, all these, uh, you know, explosive rape cases or false rape allegations as well. When when you you've you've distorted the very concept of what, of what male, female consent, sex, rape, uh, flirting, uh, assault, etc. When all those categories are have been rendered radically malleable. Then, then what does one expect? Yeah, it's like it's like uh, human human sexuality was created for the marital rapport. That's a that's a fact of life. And you know, poverty statistics, crime statistics, uh, uh, social demographics demonstrate this. Everyone gets poorer, and crime spikes when human beings start reproducing outside of families. When you throw this four to six year occlusion in the way of all young people. Remember, Obama wanted everyone to be a college boy or girl. Then they're not, <clears throat> particularly the ones that are less than virtuous, are not going to abstain from sexual activity rather than doing what humans have done for you know tens of thousands of years: get married. And so, all of a sudden, you wind up with a with a Kobe Bryant uh, like rape case kind of situation where it's like, well, I mean, he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Maybe it was rape. Maybe it wasn't rape. He's definitely engaged in illicit sexual activity outside of his marriage. So that that's what you have with all these kids going away to college. You want to defend the young men that are, if if false, they uh, if the allegations are false, they're being accused falsely, and that's not just. But the point is, you're not supposed to be there in the first place. When you're 18, 19, 20, you're supposed to be finding your wife and wedding your wife and having big families and working with your hand by the day. That's, that's, that's how human beings were wired. It was working out pretty good when that was the standard in mm -hmm. the society. It was actually working out pretty good. Now, Michael, there's this young girl who has been training since she was probably five years old at swimming. And she's done a really good job, and she gets a scholarship to Penn. And then she goes and, and starts competing with her teammates and then gets into real matches and then finds out that a boy has joined her team. And the boy takes her spot for the Olympics, takes her spot for a potential scholarship win and at regional and national championships level. 
And now she is in a weird position in her life, maybe facing depression. What did I do all that training for if a boy is going to come in here and do this? I fear on the college campuses, our bathrooms aren't going to be safe, just like they weren't in Virginia. And our women's athletics are under severe attack. Well, I would say, yes, I would agree with all those things, but is even more under attack at, at the base of all of this is truth itself. Right. That's that's the the greatest under attack is that the claim that um, a, a man can get pregnant must be you, you must assent to that you must nod your head and go along and say yes that is true uh, I assent to the, to this claim that that is essentially what is under attack right now and it's being instantiated in this particular form of women's athletic in bathroom uh, legislation in in in. Per, preferred pronouns and in people's emails. And that is how you break uh, a people. That is how you break a society. This is something that uh, Theodore Dalrymple has pointed out, where he said communism, it's, it's about humiliating people and getting people to say abject falsehoods. And once you get them to consent to, to that, once you get them to, to nod their head, say, yes, two plus two is five, then, then you have them. There, there's nothing, there's no sense of probity left uh, beyond that point. And that's the greater thing. What we're saying, avoid, just sidestep this institution entirely. The the, the credentialing, it, it isn't worth your your uh, your dignity and, and your character to, to have to tac tacitly go along with that. To, to even tacitly, silently go along, it just isn't. Can I make a point on top no. of that, Matt? Tim, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, look, of course, the the transgender agenda, the the trans agenda. Uh, is absurd but it's downstream of uh all kinds of feminism that's been in the water for 150 years and if you if what, what people should do your your audiences go to agenda 2030 and what they'll note is um about eight paragraphs in for the first time not the only time they'll see a repeated uh a, agenda item a line item which is female sports push female sports you can't turn on the tv now without female sports uh, uh, invading, even when you're watching an NBA game, you what ought to be male-centered uh, commercials. So, of course, the transgenderism is really pernicious, but it's just the third iteration of transgenderism. You had a proto-transgenderism of the George Soros types pushing young girls, uh, diluting their expectations that they're going to be like male athletes in the first place, really. We, we, until about 10 years ago, all shared the assumption that athletics are training for military combat, and thereby their, their male engagement, their male behaviors. And uh, so really, there's, there's a proto-transgenderism whereby women acted like men, began to act like men. Before then, you had actual transgenderism in 2014 or 2015, and uh, women actually started thinking they could be men. So, so it's a, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B when it comes to the... the um, the the transgenders in female sports issue. I'm not I'm not sure which side to take on that one because it's all bad. It's all bad. It's not just a war on young girls. And when we talked about the home ec thing too, Michael, that mm -hmm. is giving them a wrong start. I mean, that was a great program for cool. for classes. Stay at home moms are very happy. And even today in this crazy messed up society. 
stay-at-home moms are overall happier than most of the rest of us, <laughs> you know? It's just the, the other thing is, is to the cost. Medical expenses are the biggest cause of bankruptcy in America, but here comes student debt right behind it, and the left wants to say, you know what, we'll just have somebody who doesn't have student debt pay for your student debt. Sounds fair. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Why not? Why not? Yeah, it's um that that's the other thing. Yeah, the, the student. I think we're at one point nine trillion dollars of collective aggregated student loan debt uh, in two thousand nineteen alone. Uh, families took a hundred and six billion dollars for student loans. Uh, to quote Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, he said, "Somehow we got it in our heads that college is priceless." Well, it, it, like anything else, it isn't. Right? There has to be some upper limit uh, to which we're paying for these things, and uh, that's yet another thing that we we mention. Uh, within the the book, just the the, the trade off uh, financially, it just doesn't. Even once you get get the degree, most people they don't have the activation energy in a low level job to get out from underneath the debt uh, once they're on the other side. Why do you guys? I don't I don't know who needs to answer this. Why do you think colleges have just continually to skyrocket in price over the last, especially thirty years? Just really outrageous pricing for colleges. I don't know who wants to take that one, but I understand for engineering degrees, you need to buy some equipment and stuff like that. But it just seems like the costs are just out of control. Well, I mean, we did a bit of a breakdown in the book where the uh, of the majority of the funding, it's going towards the administrative and human resources overhead rather than getting top tier professors or, you know, buying, you know, straight state of the arts STEM equipment or something like that. The, the, the majority of, uh, money goes to uh, covering this this swelling administrative uh, and, and HR o overhead. Uh, as to why that phenomenon is occurring, I'm, I'm I'm not so sure, but that that's where it's heading. And then also, a lot of it's going to these you know luxury dorms and and universities competing, essentially trying to to see students as customers and and trying to entice them to have the 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 famed college experience. So. They're paying for rock walls and luxury dorms and and whatever five star dining experiences and whatnot and, and that's that's it's so far afield from the the telos and original intention of what the university uh, was about and then lastly they'll bring in whatever uh, celebrity celebrity uh, professors to guest teach uh, a, a course or two and, and pay them exorbitant uh, amounts of money as well. Yeah. And that might be somebody like Dr. Jill Biden or, or Michelle Obama, somebody that yep. your son yep. paid for her to be there, but there she yeah, is. Or... <laughs> Don't even like her, Tim. What do you, what do you guys think about Christian colleges, um, Oral Roberts, stuff like that? Are we in the same pickle there now too? Largely. I mean, the majority, vast majority of, of Catholic colleges, which is what I can really speak to are badly infiltrated such that, there is an institution entirely devoted as its uh, cause for being to winnowing out the few, I think it's only 15 brick and mortar Catholic colleges that are faithful, 15 or 16, if I remember correctly, called the, the Cardinal Newman Guide to Faithful Catholic Schools. The rest of them are all badly infiltrated by Marxists. And I, in a way, I think this is good when you, when you hedge, in, in the law, when you hedge and you say, here's a very, very slight exception. You know, no one should go to college aside from this this small group of people now that the writing's on the wall. 
everyone's wanting to fit into the exception and they hollow it out and it gets bigger and bigger. I mean, you know, unless you really need a, a, a law degree or a med degree, and no one really needs it, but I, I guess if, if in the future, somewhere out there that the doctor who's going to cure cancer is wanting to go to med school, we want him going. So we at least need to hedge that much, but everyone's not going to be that guy. Everybody's not going to create some uh, breakthrough in constitutional law or something. So if you're engineer, lawyer, doctor, I, I guess you have to go. But most people are going to be a lot happier if they do what human beings were wired to do. And that is to, when you're of the age, you graduate high school, you go get a job that can be quite high paying. You have a skill, you get a sense of accomplishment. College kids come out with a four-year degree, not knowing how to do anything. They're garbage can degrees, by the way, too. The, the quality is super low. We haven't talked about that that much. They don't know mm -hmm. how to do squat. They're just effete, effeminized, gender dysphoric, confused, uh, dissatisfied young men that are oversexed and uh, undereducated. So that's the other the problem here is, is quality control. And uh, someone's got to be on that. And the best way to quality control is just to say, let's, let's go back to the beginning. We hedge a bit. Maybe not everybody needs to avoid college, but 99% but of you do. That, that's the system here. Exception makes bad law. How did you guys meet and get together on this project? Well, I think originally uh, I had heard about uh, Tim's uh, firing uh, in two and two summers ago uh, because of he had he had said some controversial though true things about the uh, Black Lives Matter organization, and I had heard about that, and I I, I thought that that was uh, very courageous of him. So I reached out to him over email and said, you know, good, "Good job for for speaking your mind and, and not cowing to to the mob." And uh, at that time, I was doing a postdoc at, at uh, Notre Dame, uh, at you know ostensibly a, a nominally Catholic university, and I had seen a, a creeping creeping wokeism, creeping neo Marxism there as well. So we we both got talking as to what is the uh, what's an alternative? What, what's a solution to this? Do you know just lay on our backs and, and let this get worse, or do we fight it? And I think we eventually concluded that one of the best ways to fight it is to, is some type of parallelism and uh this is what we're advocating for uh salt the earth with the existing organization metaphorically and then a parallelism with respect to educate you know home homeschooling 2.0 for the the uh higher higher education level Tim, you do the uh, Rules for Retrogrades show on um, YouTube. I want everybody to follow him on Twitter, at Timothy Eology. What a harrowing story. We've heard too many just like yours. I wanted to get that promo out there. You can talk about the show a little bit, too. But First Amendment firings all over the college campuses is another major problem, and you were a victim of that yourself. Yeah, and in my case, it was even uh, secondary ed, Catholic I was a theology department chairman at a Catholic high school. I've taught some college, but I was uh, what should have should have been. There's no tenure at, at, at secondary level, but what I said shouldn't have been shocking to the conscience of anyone, particularly in the conservative enclave of California in which I lived, which was just that BLM was a terrorist organization. I said it very early. Um, most conservative Americans came around to that by the end of that summer, but 
um, the fact of the matter is, as, as anyone could have found out until a, a couple of months ago, the attack on the family is the Marxists and neo-Marxists rallying point. That's what that's what really, you know, the the college everyone go to college movement is all about. It's what BLM was all about. Um, it's what what really the Marxists rally around is the attack on the traditional one income man, woman, family. And if you think of all of the issues we've talked about here today, they all center on that. Discouraging married life. It's essentially a married with children view of, of marriage where a man will be dissatisfied, undersexed. His wife will be the real boss, you know, barking orders at him. This is the view that's being pushed by groups like Black Lives Matter. And pretty much every college professor at a state school is pushing this view uh, of the family. So this is this is the centralizing theme under which uh, all of the other things we've said here today make sense. It certainly does. Michael, you want to talk about your background too? Because when you have your MD, you know, you're out there to help people. And colleges are banning free speech, just like Tim talked about. They're turning in, they're turning out these little Pink Floyd Marxist children. This helps no one. Debate helps people, discussions help people, but not this garbage. No, not at all. I mean, my, my path is a little bit different from, from Tim's. You know, I've, I went to West Point, was a military officer, uh, went, went and uh, fought in Iraq. Uh, that was kind of a, I don't know, existentially jarring experience. It kind of took me away from, from my faith and, and my patriotism for a while. Went into the, the higher ed uh, graduate degree pipeline really to try to re rebuild a, a framework that, that made made sense to me uh but during that time while, while i was nerding out over really technical you know philosophical ideas i wasn't paying attention as much to, to, to this, this postmodern neo-marxist takeover that was occurring in the sociology departments in the lit crit departments and the anthropology departments i i just always said let, let them do their thing whatever that that's that's none of my concern uh and then i would say it was in 2017 this is when you saw all these things really break out of the, the these fringe areas in, in in the academic departments and run roughshod over all, all the institutions of society. And this is also where you saw folks like Jordan Peterson getting drug over the coals for uh, arguing against uh, Bill C sixteen in Canada, where, where he was opposing the the mandatory pronouns and mandatory um, gender language. And that was the point for me. That was that was the canary in the coal mine, existentially. Where I said, I, I've, I, I've, I, I need to uh, rethink everything, and that's what you know drove me back to to Catholicism and back to to Aristotelism, and eventually uh, collaborating with Tim. We're only scratching the surface of the problem. I'd love to get you guys back on to talk more about this, but all of this and more and solutions are in the book, Don't Go to College. The hardcover is available, and you can get it on Amazon. Where else can they get the book? Thebuffshow.com will have it. Where else can they get the book, guys? I think it'll be on Barnes & Noble. Uh, Regnery Publishing is who it's through. So you can get it directly there. And, uh, yeah, all your, all your major uh, distributors are, uh, are promoting it. Uh, Michael Knowles of The Daily Wire is writing the forward. And uh, yeah, it should be coming out uh, August 2nd. 
That's right. August 2nd, 2022 is when it's available. Sorry. I, I thought it I thought it was 2021. It's August 22. So you're going to get out there and are you guys going to go to colleges and promote the book and tell people time to get out now? <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been excited about the don't go to college college speaking tour. We're going to have a sign up <laughs> list for for kids to parade out with us to follow us out in a triumphal ceremony um you know able to 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 burn their indoctrinated dreams of an overpriced <laughs> college degree and uh you know like the pied piper leading leading the people off the college campus <laughs> that's why i envision it we're going to do our our talks on on college campuses matt in hazmat suits i think uh because that's the only the only suit the only outfit that's safe or appropriate for a college speaking tour they start when you say something they don't like this is how unfitting college education is anymore for the american public you say something they don't like they start throwing bricks at you start spraying uh, biochemical body yep. liquids on you mm -hmm. and setting things on fire corners of the room on fire so the only appropriate costume or outfit for a for a speaker is a, a hazmat suit with a with a hard helmet and steel-toed boots yeah, I was gonna say a suit of armor, Michael, might do the trick. Right, right yeah. Tank. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> an ex explosive ordnance bomb diffusing costume might uh might also suffice. Yeah, like Jeremy Renner in that movie about the yeah, bomb hurt locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are walking in there like the hurt locker. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Everybody, check out the book. Check out Tim's show. All the cool stuff that you guys are doing. I want to get you back. And dive into some other stuff because, like we said, we only scratched the surface. I'd love to get you back and really talk about some more of the harrowing experiences that you guys have written about. But um, and then for the book release, and I would be happy to join you on the tour. Um, I think that would be awesome for uh, for the show. <laughs> bring, a, bring a helmet and a mouthpiece, and uh, yeah, you're welcome to tag along. That's right. And it's not about COVID. We're just more scared of the students when we're talking about hazmat suits. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, they're blue-haired freaks. We ain't afraid of them. You just have to. They, who knows what, what ungodly fluid is being sprayed on uh, conservative speakers on college campuses. Think of Michael Knowles. Yeah, I, I, we, we can handle the blue-haired, lip-ringed freaks. You know, bring them on. It's just I, I don't want the, uh, the body fluids. No, thank you. Yeah, we're talking about the material stuff. Not the idiot behind the material stuff. <laughs> Very good. God bless you guys. Keep up the great work. We'll promote the book out there. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having us, Mike. Thanks. You got it. All right. We'll be back on The Buff Show with more. You stay with us. A boring website can make your company look really bad. <laughs> Poor rankings on Google, Yahoo, and Bing means your company does not exist to thousands of monthly searchers. I'm not even on the front page. Come out of hiding with JJC Marketing Solutions and get found to more and more new customers every day. At JJC Marketing Solutions, they offer state-of-the-art website creation, Google SEO, PPC campaigns, and social media marketing that makes your company stand out. Out. No need to go with those national companies that only care about you on the first call. JJC Marketing is located right here in Sanford, and the goal is to help businesses like yours succeed. Get better results. Call 321-765-7710 or visit them at jjcmarketingsolutions.com. I'm somebody now! JJC Marketing Solutions. 
Welcome back to the Map Buff Show. Great to have you with us on this Thursday. Got a lot to cover here in our final segment. This is our segment where we feature authors and different books. And we got a very interesting scenario for you guys today. Let's go to Harlan Ullman on the Buff Show. Harlan, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. All right, very good. Author of the new book, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption disruption Become the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. He's also Senior Advisor to the Atlantic Council. So, Harlan, a lot of great experience comes behind this book. What got you into it and what made you decide, you know what, we need to talk about the mad? Um, about uh, seven or eight years ago, I came up with this notion of massive attacks of disruption, which is really a takeoff on the old mad of mutual assured destruction, which people will know during the Cold War, since both East and West had uh, huge amounts of thermonuclear weapons. I say thermonuclear. Thermonuclear weapon is a thousand times more powerful than a nuclear weapon. But because of mad, because of the threat of secondary uh, retaliation, nobody was killed. And so I was thinking about that, and about two and a half years ago, along came COVID. A million Americans have died of COVID. That's more Americans that were killed on every battlefield since 1775. And what has COVID done to our society? It has completely upended and disrupted it. And what's interesting, in the past, we would have a real threat or a crisis, such as Pearl Harbor. Remember, before Pearl Harbor, the country was very divided. Pearl Harbor united the country. What did COVID do? It disunited the country, irrespective of where you were, the lines were drawn and the country became more divided and rather than unified. And so the theme really exists across the board. And I come up with seven major disruptors, Matt. The most dangerous is failed and failing government. Republicans and Democrats cannot make government work. We see that right now. Uh, second is climate change. There may be a real debate about climate change, but the fact is polar ice caps are melting, temperatures are rising and sea levels are rising. Right now, the Colorado River is the Colorado Creek. We have unbelievable wildfires, not only in New Mexico, but in Siberia and in Italy. And so these whole issues here are really very, very serious. Then you have uh, cyber, and you know what cyber attacks can do. Colonial Pipeline last year took away all the gasoline from New England in the northeast part of the United States. Social media. You can be ruined in a heartbeat, but social media was used to rally all the revolutions in other part of the world. Then we have debt. $30 trillion, tick, tick, tick. What happens when interest rates go up to 5%? That means 25% of the $6 trillion federal budget is going to go to debt service. Then you have terror. Terror is now shifted from Afghanistan to America. There has only been one terrorist attack in the United States since 2001 by a non-American citizen. That was a Saudi naval officer. So we've got all these particular issues here, and we're not prepared for them. We're worried about China, obviously. We're worried about Russia and Ukraine. But what's happening right now is that massive attacks of disruption are going to be things that we have to live with. The government is not organized, prepared, or ready for it. And the book lays out what we need to fix it and hopefully try and repair the huge differences that divide us and not unite us. Well, let me unpack some of that real quick. When it comes to COVID-19 and the death, it turns out that... um, When you say a million deaths, there's a lot of hospital protocols that have been very damaging and deadly to people that were placed by the government. And also, when you look at the four comorbidities or more with most of the people that uh, contracted the virus and ended up dying, 
because of protocols like remdesivir or just because of their unnatural, um, unhealthy habits, you know, you got to look at that. And the government lockdowns were no friend to uh, anybody. Yeah, that got more. My, my point is, I don't want to debate the number of deaths. What I'm saying is, it was hugely disruptive. COVID, it was disruptive. That's the issue. You can debate whether that's it was a million or whatever. I don't want to do that. What I'm saying is, this was disruptive. We're not we're not prepared for it, and we're not prepared for COVID 2021 20, 22. Why not? Because we have a broken government that's not working. Further disruption. So I mean, I can I understand the points that you want to make. My argument is, irrespective of the issue, it becomes divisive and disruptive, and it makes the country very very much more difficult in which to come to some kind of consensus so that we can keep standards of living high and keep the American dream in place. And quite frankly, our standards of living on the current course are going to decline, and the American dream is going to be increasingly elusive for most people. And that's a tragedy. I, I understand that, but divisiveness and division and disruption can be a good thing. Um, we need discourse in America. So when you have a government using its power to put restrictions on Americans, there's going to be a segment of the population that fights back. And even doctors will come out and say different things. We need disruption and we need divisiveness, especially when within the face of tyranny. No, my point here, Matt, is that in the book, I talk about very positive disruptions. The Industrial Revolution, uh, the Information Revolution, the American Revolution. Obviously, the difference today is that our disruption is almost entirely negative. In other words, because the country is so divided, virtually 50-50 on every issue, and because there is no consensus and there's no civility, I'm happy to debate you on anything. We're going to be civil. But unfortunately, yes, we are. that's yes. right. And that no longer exists. It's hostile. It's hostility on every single level. And so if you cannot, and it's almost unique to this country, go to other democracies, Britain, France, Germany, you don't see the same level of hostility. And the question is why? And I do not have a good answer for that, but it's a huge problem, which is really doing great damage to the country, in my judgment. I think it's a fascinating uh, commentary. And and when I was reading through the book before you came on the show, there was some things that I wanted to discuss with you, but I didn't want to shut you down. I didn't want to make people say, don't buy this book. I think people should buy this book because when you go to 2028 in the book, a female president has taken over. You talk about a lot of things that happened in the past, all the way back to Benghazi, all the way back years and years ago. Um, but when you talk about the how the new world could look, it's quite frightening, Harlan. <laughs> it was really quite frightening. Well, it should be. For example, you want to, you want to talk about January 6th. I argue that drones are going to be a huge disruptor because what happens when you have armed drones? Now, supposing on January 6th, the insurrectionists, and I use this in my book, had drones, they could have destroyed the Capitol. And there's going to be a coming debate in this country of whether or not you can have an armed drone as an extension of the Second Amendment. That's going to rip the country apart. But my point is, 2028, the inauguration takes place in an undisclosed location because the White House has been destroyed in a riot. All these things are possible right now because the technology is there, but the division is also there and the division is hostile. And my book is positive in the sense that I'm, I'm, I'm a radical independent, a radical independent. I have problems with the Republicans and Democrats. And one of the issues here is that the far left and the far right are unfortunately disuniting the country. The majority of people are in the middle. 
center left, center right, center. 70% of the country. And yet the country is being torn and we can't seem to have any ways of dealing with it. One of the biggest recommendations in my book, Matt, by the way, calls for a national infrastructure investment fund. And the reason I say that, and I take this from 1918 to 1920, Spanish flu. When the Spanish flu ended, this country went on the biggest economic boom in its history because of electrification, because of, autom of automobiles and other things, new technologies, radio, movies, so forth and so on. We can do that today. And how do we do it? The government $1.2 trillion bill uh, is not going to do it for any number of reasons. It's too small and there's no real oversight. A lot of that money is going to be wasted. Are you I talking about the American Rescue Plan bill? Yeah, the, the, yeah, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. I want, and interesting, the, the, the Treasury is already doing this with so-called uh, investment bonds that are paying 9%. What I want to do is to get the American public, as we did in World War II, with war bonds, to put up 2 or 3 even $4 trillion. And that money would be invested across the board in infrastructure. I don't mean just roads or bridges or airports. I mean supply chains. I mean medical. I mean research and development. I mean education. All the areas in which we need to be viable for the 21st century. And the way that we pay that back, uh, not only with user fees and tolls, but during the 2008 financial crisis, there was something called TARP, Troubled Asset Recovery Program. $800 billion was paid out to make all the private banks public. Not only did the banks pay that money back quickly, but we took warrants out, which is equity. And so the government made about $10 billion on this. So if we're investing in infrastructure and you invest in the ABCD company that's doing something along the lines, why don't you get a piece of the action? This is supposed to be a capitalist entrepreneurial country. Why can't the government do this? This is common sense, common sense. But if this goes up to the Hill and I have some senators who are interested in it, the Republicans are going to say, we don't want government in charge. And the Democrats saying, we don't want the private sector in charge. And there's going to be gridlock. But I want the private sector to play a role. Having been on the board of a number of public uh, and private companies, that's the only way you get good oversight. And that's what you need. This money needs to be well spent. And so that's really the theme of the book. This can really rebuild America over the long term. And we have to because we're not going to be competitive in the 21st century, as, as I see it, simply because government is failing the public. That's right. When you look at the um, the government, how they spend money, it's just atrocious. The American Rescue Plan put the, com the country into a massive uh, inflationary problem right now that we're seeing. We're seeing right now. When you talk about what people call an insurrection is what's happening at the homes of judges right now, which is illegal to influence a judge. Not a protest on January 6th where only one person died, and that happened to be a Trump supporter by an overzealous state police officer. And FBI agents running around the protest, riling people up and causing problems is a well, problem. Yeah, you scared me with the drone stuff, though. The drone stuff, I see that becoming a reality. Of course. But the TARP and the American Rescue Plan, under both Democratic leaderships, were completely disastrous for the country. And we're paying the price right now today in America because of Joe Biden's uh, regime. Well, actually, I think, I think Matt, as I said, I'm, I'm apolitical. But you can go back. For example, one of the problems with Russia and Ukraine goes back to the Clinton administration and then the Bush administration for expanding NATO. Yes. And we nobody ever asked the question, what are you going to do about Russia? <clears throat> and way back then, I said, what about this? 
it was George W. Bush who said that at the Bucharest NATO summit in 2008, that of course Georgia and Ukraine can join NATO. And that's what set Putin off yeah. then and there. And so you have all these inadvertent, unintended consequences that go back in history. So you can say it's a democratic problem. No, it's an American problem. It's an American problem. And Excellent so point about NATO and Ukraine, though. I want everybody to remember that because everybody's like, how did this thing start? You got to go back to Clinton, Hillary Clinton with the reset button, the George Bush policies. Absolutely. You're 100 percent correct on this. And nobody talks about it. I just wanted to make that point known, but continue on. Yeah, because I have one of my columns that was out yesterday in The Hill made that argument that, you know, Pope Francis was not entirely wrong about NATO barking at Russia's door. Russia has interest. And what set Putin off was that Putin set a number of demands last winter to NATO, the EU, and the United States saying, I want a new security framework. I don't want NATO continue to encroach on, on Russian property. And so what did we do? What did we do? We ignored it. We said, we'll talk about arms control. Now, there's no excuse for what Russia did. What Russia did is an act of, of, of brutality, no doubt. But the point is that there are unintended consequences, and government does not understand this all the time, in large measure because you have this whole huge turnover and because for a number of reasons, no administration gets its administration in place for at least a year. No matter whether it was Don Rumsfeld under George Bush or whether um, in the current administration, um, it takes almost a year or more to fill up these positions. That's unconscionable and it's a Republican and Democratic problem. We can't run a government when, it's no, when nobody's home. And that's the reality. Nobody, uh, I've get a lot of books on the show. Nobody really talks about how the divide goes the other way. It's yeah. kind of like a Marvel movie. What if this happened? They put out this great series on Marvel. What if it was this way where their heroes took different sure. paths yeah. and it became destructive for the country? You give good answers too, but it's a really excellent read on that. Your main character, the woman president, how did you arrive at, at her? Talk about her background. Um, I'm also writing a novel and the woman president in 2029 is the heroine in this particular novel. And the okay. novel that I'm working on, uh, argues that a small group of Americans want to detach themselves from America for all sort of mercenary reasons. These are, this is, these are companies that are, that states that basically are, are fossil fuel producers, but they also have nuclear weapons station. And the idea is a state breaks off and then keeps its nuclear weapon to defend itself against the rest of the United States. Uh, and, and so when I thought about 2029, I said, supposing things go in the direction that they seem to be going, China gets worse, Russia gets worse, the economy gets worse here, violence gets worse. That's how I arrived at this. And clearly it was to me looking at drones and anybody who's following the news to see how significant drones are in the war in Ukraine or how drones have been very significant in other conflicts. It's very easy to envisage somebody bombing the White House. And so that's how I got to 2029. And quite frankly, this was meant to frighten the reader. This was to get, as you also know, I was the author of Shock and Awe. And I yeah. wanted to shock and awe the, 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 the reader, say, holy smoke, could this really happen? And then to dig into the book, understand the problems, how we solve the problems and what the solutions are. And I offer solutions for a national renaissance, how we have to fix our, our foreign policy and our defense policy, we're spending too much money on defense for the stuff that was good in the 20th century that's not relevant in the 21st century, and it's almost impossible to change that. But all these things are raised in the book. I also note in the book that our 
security strategy during the Cold War was based. Now that is a ringtone I may never want to hear again, Harlan. <laughs> that is a bad ringtone right there. <laughs> anyway, I was saying that uh, during the Cold War, containment and deterrence were the two lodestones. But today, how have we contained China or Russia? How have we deterred Russia? And so my argument is the fundamental basics for our strategy are wrong. And on top of that, they're unaffordable. What we need to do is to be able to prevent problems. I like how you do problems and defend against these problems and to protect Americans and where we can engage. That makes common sense. But unfortunately, administrations too often don't rely enough on common sense. Yeah, common sense is well needed back. You, you, when you talk about China, I just find this fascinating because China is the most powerful government in the world. It is. I disagree with you. Jesus Christ. You you can put it on silent or um I know I have vibrate. Uh look, one of the points I make in the book, my concern about China, Matt. Uh <clears throat> first of all, what is the threat that China really poses? We say it's got the biggest navy in the world. Using the same ship count, the biggest navy in the world belongs to the US Army. <laughs> they well, got the the government. I'm talking about just the government. That's the government a we just yeah. the problem with the government. <clears throat> My yeah. biggest fear is that China, like the Soviet Union, could implode. Why? Because the Communist Party is in charge. And unfortunately, the Communist Party is doing a lot of really stupid things right now. For example, it's turning against the entrepreneurship. That's what made China an economic powerhouse. It has a huge property, real estate bubble. Why? Because that's where there's so much graft and corruption. That's how you made huge amounts of money. So you've got the Communist Party sitting on top of this edifice of 1.5 billion people, about half a billion people live under the poverty line. If you don't have economic growth of 10 or 12 or 15% a year, those people get very angry. We talk about riots in this country. There are over 100,000 unreported riots, substantial sizes in China every year. So President Xi is riding a whirlwind. And I think that if we were smart, and sometimes we're not smart, you have to understand that we should not confront China being the pacing threat. Because quite frankly, as a former naval officer who fought in Vietnam, the more that the Chinese uh, militarize their islands, I say, boy, that's a very target-rich environment. They are vulnerable. And I argue in my book for a porcupine defense and a maritime mobile defense, which would basically bottle the Chinese up at the first island chain in the Pacific so they can't get out. But we're not doing that, unfortunately. And so my argument is with China, China has so many internal problems, we should let China sort of boil in its, in its own juices for the time being and not confront it. I would argue, for example, removing the tariffs. The tariffs made no sense and they're hurting American consumers. Step one, that would reduce inflation somewhat, but it would make the relationship with Beijing non-hostile. And quite frankly, the only one of the few things that members of Congress agree upon, as you know, Matt, China's the enemy. Okay, what is the threat from China? China's not gonna invade anybody. They want to do Belt and Road, they're going to go bankrupt. We have to be far more rational. We don't like the idea of their government. We don't like the way that they're dealing uh, with some of their minority races. Fine. The Chinese can also say, we don't like the way you, America, are dealing with some of your minorities or whomever. And so I think that while human rights are important, we have to understand that a policy based solely on human rights is simply not going to work. It's going to make other people angry and it's not going to accomplish what it, what it needs to do. But making that point in America, 
people who accuse you of being anti-American because you're not defending everybody's rights. You have to do it in a way that works. When you talk about China, some of the things that make them an enemy is what they're doing to their own people. When you talk about the infrastructure of the economy being the entrepreneurial spirit, sure. they're just locking them down. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very troubling thing. Buying up an alarming amount of farmland in the United States, too. Their cyber warfare capabilities have already been exposed. And... My goodness, when you talk about looking at China and how they're reacting to this very weak Biden regime, Taiwan is in big trouble right now, too. Now, still, Taiwan doesn't have a big interest with us, but still, China is growing bolder when, it, when they look at this, this United States right now. Let me, let me tell you something. Uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, King George asked the first sea lord, is Napoleon going to invade? And the first sea lord said, uh, Your Majesty, uh, I can tell you this: if China does, if <laughs> if France does, if Napoleon does try to invade, he's not coming by sea. There is no way, there is no way the Chinese now and probably for a long time have the capacity to launch a Normandy-like invasion to take Taiwan. They do not do that. They can blow Taiwan up. They can have an economic blockade. But this notion of China invading Taiwan is nonsensical, and people don't want to understand that. Having said that. The defense of Taiwan, if we put in place a porcupine defense, would make it impregnable. Yet the Taiwanese don't want to do that. So we cannot want Taiwan to defend itself more than they do. Right. I argue for the porcupine defense. Look, look what the what Ukrainians are doing with a handful of cruise missiles. Now, supposing they had real cruise missiles in large numbers, what would that do to the Chinese Navy in the case of Taiwan? So we're exaggerating the physical threat to Taiwan of an invasion, and yet we're not encouraging the Taiwanese to put in place exactly what would be needed to prevent that from happening. It's an interesting contradiction. It really is. I That reminded me of something when you brought up Ukraine and the missile defense systems with Ukraine and, uh, and uh, Taiwan. Um, you said it at the very beginning of the interview when you talk about geothermal nuclear weapons. and um, there's no, 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 a no, 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 thermonuclear. Thermonuclear, thermo, thermonuclear that's correct. Okay. Um, when you said that, I thought about the Satan and Satan two in Russia, how those might be thermal, how those might be nuclear. I just don't know if you no, have researched that. And my question is, when they have those kind of weapons, and we we talked about the Chinese military too. Um, if, if the United States and other countries are feeding those countries' enemies with money and weapons and stuff like that, because of the NATO issue that you discussed, why Russia did what it did, is there a point where Russia or China can say that's enough? Uh, you're part of this war now, and it becomes World War III. Do you see any scenario where that plays out just because of the aid and the weapons that other countries are pouring in? Well, first of all, China's not part of this, and I think President Xi is regretting that he may be seen as too close to President Putin. Uh, could the war escalate? I really doubt it. And the reason I say that, so your listeners and viewers understand, <clears throat> A nuclear weapon is measured in kilotons, thousands of tons of TNT equivalent. A thermonuclear weapon is measured in millions of tons. A 10 megaton thermonuclear weapon exploded over Washington. The fireball would not only cover all of Washington, but a good part of Northern Virginia and Maryland. That's wow. just a fireball. I mean, nobody understands that the crater would be 3,000 feet in diameter and 900 feet deep. That's a pretty big hole. 
So we have forgotten the destructive power. And those people say, well, we can have a sub kiloton weapon. You're talking about thousands of pound tons of TNT. There's no such thing as a sub kiloton weapon that's small. The largest bomb, conventional bomb we have, weighs 20,000 pounds, okay? 10 tons. The smallest nuclear weapon would be the equivalent of 500 tons. Okay. I mean, there's no comparison. And Putin knows, you know, they talks about a Satan too. We have so many weapons, we can destroy each other any number of times over. So it's nice to have a shocking weapon saying this thing is really so great. That's, and in terms of things, uh, we have more than enough. We have too much, quite frankly. Uh, we can blow ourselves up. We can blow ourselves to kingdom come many times over. That's why arms control as part of a, a strategy is really important. So we don't get out of hand and get to some situation where by mistake, something goes wrong. These weapons are society killers. It's how they name it is more of a threat. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's friends more What's fear when something, the mother of all bombs, right? Of course. Or Satan too. Shock and awe. Shock and awe. Shock and awe. The book you wrote, Shock and Awe. That is a threatening title. <laughs> well, it's also true. I mean, for example, you talk about China's cyber China's stealing our stuff. Why are we not stealing China's IP? Question we have no we have no balls. We don't balls? we don't act like our enemies do. Well, we should. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can do. Well, and Trump I, did. When, when well, he no, talked about Fire and Fury with Little Rocket Man, that was they took that seriously over there. He played in the gutter with those guys and seemed to work. Well, it's, unfortunately, it, I mean, I actually admire, I admired Trump for doing that. Unfortunately, we couldn't come to a deal. But the point is, what's in a word? It's really important. And we have not been aggressive. Now, in Ukraine, without knowing what's happening, but having worked in the Department of Defense for a very, very long time, there's no doubt that we're doing a lot of stuff to make life really tough for the Russians, not only with cyber, but the reason those generals are getting killed in great frequency is because we're helping the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian yeah. army is heroic, but one of the reasons they are doing what they are so far is that they're getting an awful lot of information help from us. I'm glad that that's not being as publicly reviewed, though the story the other day that came out was treasonous, reporting that what we were doing, because there's some things you want to keep silent in a government that leaks from every single level. And that's one of them. We've got some very, very, very capable people. And if they are given the right guidance, we can do an awful lot of stuff much more cleverly than we're doing right now. And I don't think we're using social media. I don't think we're using cyber in ways that really could make life a lot more difficult in, in certain areas for the Chinese and the Russians without necessarily escalating things. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways. Um, tariffs. I don't I don't know about tariffs and sanctions. They don't seem to stop anybody from anything. People find ways to get around tariffs and sanctions. That's that applies the to Russia. The problem with tariffs is that is that unfortunately the economic advice Trump got was entirely wrong. Uh, tariffs are not helping. But the issue with sanctions, the sanctions are going to hurt the public, right. not the leaders. Remember That's we right. had huge sanctions on Saddam Hussein. And we had food for oil. And what did that do? That empowered Saddam because he controlled it. What's yeah. happening now in Russia, life in Russia is hard. And it's going to become harder. And so there's going to be a huge amount of resentment on the part of the Russian people against us because of the sanctions we are imposing because of Ukraine and because of Putin. <clears throat> so unfortunately, the effect of sanctions takes too long. It's not going to affect the political leadership. And it's going to lead a long-term residue of hostility and even hatred 
that's going to take a long time to overcome. Because look, at some stage, Putin is going to be gone. We don't want Russia as an enemy. We want Russia at least as somebody who plays by the rules. And these sanctions are not going to help that degree. Can we do them and continue? Yeah, because it's our only weapon, because we're not going to go to war over this. But they're limited. And so I think that the things that we are doing right now are sending enough of the right stuff to Ukraine quickly enough to make a difference. But uh, we'll see how long that continues, because uh, this is a war of attrition. This is World War One trench warfare. And I'm yeah. not sure how long both sides can persist in this, simply because it's a meat grinder. And it's killing Ukrainians. It's killing far more Russians. But uh, it's something that we need to put an end to. But how we do that is extremely difficult. And that's really up to Mr. Putin and Mr. Zelensky. Well, this never happened under Donald Trump. This war that we're talking about today did not happen under Donald Trump. And it didn't happen under George Washington, Matt. Come on. <laughs> I'm talking about this particular situation. Did if not Trump happen. Been, if Trump had if, been reelected, it would have happened. If he would have been reelected, and he was reelected, by the way, this is another example of why stolen elections have consequences. We anyway, have, I want to I want to get back to my book in the Fifth Horseman. Let's People finish have, up with one more point on the book because we really have to run. But I really appreciate you coming on. We'll do the stolen election discussion another time, Harlan. Good. But go ahead and finish up with the last point. Look, the fifth horseman and the new man, how massive attacks of disruption have became a looming existential danger. We have to understand that we've got many, many problems that far exceed the issues of Russia and China. We've got problems from the environment. We've got problems from broken government. We've got problems from debt. And unless we understand that and come up with a real strategy, a real strategy that is far reaching and encompassing this, and then we get consensus, it's got to be Republican and Democrat, we're going to be on the wrong trajectory. And that's not necessarily going to affect you or me, but it is going to affect your children, grandchildren, future generations, I'm afraid, Matt, because we're headed in the wrong direction. Standards of living, unless we make a change now, are yeah. going to decline. The American dream is going to be elusive. And the fifth horseman says, how do we get out of this dilemma? And it raises a number of recommendations and proposals to do that. That's why people that's what, need That's what's great about the book, everybody. I want you to check it out because there's solutions. It breaks down what could happen if this trajectory continues. It's a phenomenal read. I really appreciate you staying on way longer than you agreed to, Harlan. My pleasure. Because this was a great conversation. I love the book. We're going to put the link on thebuffshow.com, everybody. But you can find this on Amazon and everywhere else, too. Harlan Ullman, thank you. Everybody check out the Atlantic Council. Thank you so much for joining us thank on the show. Thank you very much, Matt. That was great. It was a lot of fun. We'll, uh, that'll do it for this evening's edition of The Buff Show. You guys stay smart out there. We'll see you next time.